The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. get into the Word this morning. I'm excited to get into the Word. I think we, we um, need to get into the Word. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying that you're deficient in the Word, but I'm saying there's a need for us to get into the Word. If you look around at our, our uh, community, our country, you can see that it is upside down right now, and there's a need for the people of God to step up and walk in their, their calling and their purpose. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find in the Word this morning. These are things that are exciting to me, and I hope that they are exciting to you as well. And the first thing we're going to find, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down as something to look forward to, what God is doing in you and how he's doing it. I mean, what God is doing in you. If I were to ask the question, you know, do you, do you feel God at work in your life? We might get different responses. Some people might feel that God is active right here and now in their life. Others might be looking for, for some tangible evidence of that. But the word promises that God's at work in us. I want to find out in the scripture what he's doing. What is it that he's doing and how is he doing it? I think as we find what he's doing and how he's doing it, it'll be something that we can uh, celebrate and uh, come into alignment and agreement with, uh, with great anticipation of his work coming to pass. Another thing that we're going to find is what's needed in order to see God. Now, this kind of is, is a tag on that first one. You know, if, if the question were asked, do you feel God at work in your life? If the answer was, you know, sometimes, but not all the time, well, maybe what's needed is what's needed to see God at work in your life. Now, there's some things in the Scripture that uh, give us direction and, and, and guidance in how to see God at work in our lives, and when we apply those things, we can see very clearly uh, God's love, his affection, his presence, and his activity in and through our lives. A third thing that we're going to find is what the children of God do. Now, if I were to ask the question here, you know, how many of you are, are children of God? Everyone in this room would, would lift their hand. You know, I've been born again. I'm, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. He's my heavenly father. So the question is, what do the children of God do? We're going to see in the word what that is so that we can make sure that we are doing it as God's children. So as we get into the word here, that first thing, what God's doing in your life and how he's doing it, I want to start there. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 1 Thessalonians. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. As you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we begin reading in verse 23, you'll, you'll find these words. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit, your soul, and your body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus. I want to discuss this verse for a moment. I want to lay a, the foundation for what we're going to receive from the word this morning from, from that short passage there. First of all, I want to look at how it opens up. It acknowledges that God's doing something, and then it describes God. It identifies God as the God of peace. Now, may the God of peace himself do something. This thing that he's doing is sanctifying you, separating you, pulling you apart from what the world is, and setting you aside for his glory. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. 
Now, it speaks of every, every, every aspect of you. It speaks of everything that makes up who you are. It speaks of your spirit. It speaks of your soul. It speaks of your body. And it's calling for every aspect of your life to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be sanctified by this work that the God of peace is doing. Now, when I read that, I'm aware of a couple of things. I'm aware that God's doing a work, that he's working in me, that he's working in you to see to it that my life is completely sanctified, that my life is preserved. Preserved from what? Preserved from the corruption that exists in this world. I mean, you do not have to go very far today to see the corruption that exists in this world. Anyone who's turned on a television or turned on a radio or who's logged on to the internet has seen the corruption that exists in this world. The anger, the hate, the vengeance, the agendas that are being pushed, the violence, the rage. Now there's a number of things that are going on today and some of those things are very righteous and we ought to support those righteous things. Some of those things are absolutely evil and we ought to renounce them. God's doing something. He's separating us from the corrupt things in the world and he's sanctifying us. He's doing it completely. He's doing it in your spirit, man. That which came to life when you came into to being born again or came into salvation through Jesus. He's doing it in your soul by the renewal of your mind, affecting how you think and how you, you perceive. He's doing it in your body by separating us from sin and corruption that we can behave and that we can uh, make choices and decisions that glorify God and don't bring destruction into our flesh. God's doing this work. And when I read this passage, I see by the means or the means by which he's doing this. I think it's very interesting that as the sanctifying work is being presented, that God's separating us from the world in our spirit. He's separating us from the world in our soul, in our mind. And he's separating us from the world in our bodies. That as this work is being done, it's being done under the identification of the God of peace. Now, it might be a little bit of a stretch here, but I want to offer a thought to you. And if you bear witness with it, then I think we're going to see some wonderful things in the Word together today. God's identifying Himself as the God of peace, the one who's doing this work. That, that speaks to me volumes, that it's by this peace that God brings in His identity into my life that this sanctification is taking place. The peace and the stability of His truth and His righteousness, His Word. And when I look around the world today, I see that peace is under attack. In many areas, there's a complete absence of peace. In fact, you see the opposite of peace. You see wars being rage, or waged. You see uh, rage and wrath manifest in the streets. You see acts of vindication being carried out. You see complete and total chaos. And if it's the sanctification in our minds and in our spirits and in our bodies that comes from peace that God's bringing into our lives, I want to focus on peace. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It's referring to Jesus, our King, and it begins to describe who he is. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or his rule or his reign or of peace. I mean, this is a big deal you got to think of what all you could substitute there. And, and we would all read it as Christians, and we would smile and celebrate, and, and we would say, wow, that's, that's great. You could put the word love in there. There'll be no increase to his love. 
Or you could put uh, the word joy in there. There'll be no increase to his joy. And what you have to realize is when the Holy Spirit is revealing this truth to us, he's revealing it in absolute perfection. It's not being spoken casually, and it's like, well, that kind of worked out. But rather, it's truth being revealed to us that that which will not stop increasing when Jesus Christ is Lord is peace. So as Christians, I want to ask ourselves, are we seeing the increase of peace in our lives? Even in the midst of a world that's pressing in on all sides to bring fear, to bring anxiety, to bring chaos, to bring anger, to bring wrath, are we seeing an increase of peace? Now, peace is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's the result of the Spirit's work in your life. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that ought to be produced in the life of the believer. Produced in our words, produced in our actions. That is a complete list of the wonderful things that are produced by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. The Holy Spirit's effect on our thinking. The Holy Spirit's effect on our actions. The Holy Spirit's effect on our speech. The Holy Spirit's effect on who we are. God's covenant with you, God's covenant with me, God's covenant with his people is identified as the covenant of peace. Isaiah 54 verse 10, it says, The mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but the loving kindness of God will not be removed from us. His covenant of peace will not be shaken. So the reason why I'm sharing these verses with you is because I want us to see how important peace is. Peace identifies God's covenant with his people. Peace is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in our life. The result of peace at work in our life is the sanctifying process that God's doing in our spirit, in our soul, and in our body. Now this reveals to me why peace would be under such attack by our enemy. If peace identifies God's covenant and it's the work of peace in our life that brings about the sanctifying work that is the whole point of the gospel and fellowship being restored between us and God, I can see now why our enemy would want to disrupt peace. Why he would want to ship bricks to cities to be thrown through windows and hand out matches and torches to burn down buildings. Why he would want to disrupt peace. It's very difficult, if not impossible, based on the scripture, to see righteousness without peace. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of the book of James. James 3, verse 18, it says, The seed whose fruit is righteousness will be sown in peace by those who make peace. So it's a very poetic way to word it. But what you need to understand is that the seed whose fruit is basically mean means the work that results in. The seed is sown and it results in the fruit. Over time, over seasons, over the right conditions. For you and for me today, we can apply this verse to our lives. The work that results in righteousness, the attitude that results in righteousness, the words that result in righteousness, the actions that result in righteousness. All the seed is, is the effort. And it's the righteousness that is the result. You can apply any effort to this passage of Scripture and it will stand as truth as it's applied to your life. The seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. That word is is a powerful word there. 
I mean, there's no suggestion here or recommendation. It's not identified as something that sometimes produces this result. Rather, this is being made as an absolute statement. That peace in our lives, identifying who we are, that we could be described as those who make peace, will do those works, will speak those words, will plant those seeds whose result is righteousness. Isaiah 32 verse 17 says that the work of righteousness will be peace. Now, this is really interesting to me, and I mean, it's going to require a little bit of description, but between those two passages of Scripture, I see something going on here. I grew up around agriculture. I mean, I was a city boy, but every summer, you know, I'd pack up and I would go work the harvest in the field. So there's some things agriculturally that have affected how I see and how I think and how I perceive. And when I see these two passages of Scripture, I see something. I see James saying this that the seed that produces righteousness will be sown in peace. Then I see Isaiah saying that all the works of righteousness will be peace. So I have to ask myself, which one comes first? Is it the seed or is it the righteousness? And I see that God's done something great. That in every work of righteousness, there is a seed. It's meant to spread. It's meant to multiply. I mean, the world can't even deny these things. They, they come up with programs and, and ideas like, like pay it forward and things like that because there's an understanding. In fact, you'll hear more people talk about uh, Eastern religions with things like karma and things like that, all based on the idea that there's a seed attached to your words, a seed attached to your actions, that when we do those righteous things, it will produce other righteous things. But for us to see that righteousness, the required element, according to the scripture in James, is peace. Peace makes up part of the kingdom of God. I want to give you a passage of scripture here out of the book of Romans. Romans 14, 17. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is, or consists of, or is made up of, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When I log on to the internet, when I turn on the news, when I listen to the radio, I don't see a lot of the kingdom of God. I see absolute unrighteousness. I see chaos and anarchy, the opposite of peace. I see anger, rage, and wrath, not joy in the Holy Ghost. But the kingdom of God is and exists of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. For us to participate in, to be citizens of the kingdom of God, means for us to exist in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So here's the, where we're going to get to the point concerning these things. The powerful element that needs to be existing right now, active and effective in our lives as Christians to address, to deal with, and to live among the things that are going on is peace. And peace is never accidental. When I see in the scripture peace being identified, it is never accidental. In fact, it's often pursued. Peace is not accidental, it's pursued. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. 
I told you before we're going to find out what we need to see God at work in our lives. We'll find it here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. Now remember, that's what God was doing way back in 1 Thessalonians, sanctifying you in your spirit and your soul and your body. Hebrews says this in, in verse 14 of chapter 12, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. The sanctification in your life, in your spirit man, to be aware of the work of God that's going on right here and right now. The, the sanctification in your mind, to have your thoughts filtered by the Holy Spirit. As we discussed last week, to be able to discern the difference between truth and error. To understand what is really going on and not buy into the deception that exists in this world through the media. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That sanctifying work in our lives makes us more aware, more in tune, and, and more connected to what God is doing. Now you need to understand something. God's always at work. This isn't about the more you do this, the more he does for you. He's constantly at work in your life. But to be aware of, to have our eyes open to the things that he's doing, to be mindful of his work and aware of it for the purpose of not resisting, but rather participating and rejoicing and celebrating with gratitude the things that he's doing, whether they are pleasant or whether they are difficult, positions us to become a partner with the work of the Holy Spirit as God is working in our hearts and in our minds. Peace isn't accidental, it's pursued. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which anyone will see the Lord. I want to talk about pursuit. I mean, no one's ever pursued something casually or by accident. It's very intentional. When you think of the word pursuit, what comes to mind? I mean, yeah, just let your thoughts turn. Think for a moment, just there sitting by yourself. You don't have to say it out loud. But if you were pursuing something, what would it mean? What would it look like? I mean, when I think of the word pursuit, I've seen enough uh, movies and cop shows to picture sirens going off. And, and, you know, we're in hot pursuit. Woo, woo, woo. It's about chasing something. You, you are, are moving as fast as you possibly can in order to intercept something. It's not just uh, we're following, but it's we're following with the intent to capture. We are coming after this with the full intention to subdue it, to not only simply catch up to it, but to catch it once we catch up to it. Pursuit. And you can't pursue something while standing still. It's going to require some change. I mean, it's not always physical movement, but it is some move in one way, shape, or form. Whether it is if someone were pursuing education, it would require them actually making the decision to go to school and doing the work of going to class and, and, and going to all of those efforts in order to finally capture that which they were in pursuit of, that degree. You could use a number of examples here, but I think it's important for us to catch that God is calling us to pursue peace. Now, if we sit around and we wait for peace to pursue us, we might find ourselves waiting on a ship that's not coming in. I think that's why Jesus said things like, hey, peace I give, but not like the world gives. 
peace I give to you, but not like the world gives. Well, the world will bring you peace They'll, in the form of compromise. It's a Trojan horse. It's a trap. It will make you feel warm and cozy and fuzzy, and, and then in the end you will find that it has got a tremendous agenda attached to it. Here's a great example, shelter in place. I know a lot of people have different views and thoughts about that. But I can tell you for me personally, a number of news articles that come out that one day say this and the next day say that, I'm convinced now nobody really knows anything and everyone's too scared to be liable for whatever choice or decisions made, so they'll let confusion and chaos reign. I'm a big fan of doing things right, protecting people and serving people. But I also know that if we give in to error and we refuse to follow after truth, it will result in destruction. Pursuit. Here's a passage of scripture out of Romans. Romans 14, 19. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. That passage of scripture tells me something. I want to read it one more time, and then I kind of want to offer some thoughts on it. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. So the pursuit of peace should result in us being built up, not torn down. The result of pursuing peace should result in the building of auto zones, not the burning of them down. Right? That's a little joke. We were talking auto zone earlier. I like auto zone. I wish an auto zone wouldn't have been burned down. I think that's a shame. Great store. They will diagnose your car for free. Little plug for AutoZone. Pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. When peace is present, active, and at work, things are being built up, not, not torn down. People are being edified. They're being made better, not worse. In any situation where peace was being pursued, you were not being belittled, humiliated, beat down, or crushed. Rather, you were being ministered to, healing was taking place, and you were being built up, made stronger, edified. And doesn't it make sense that a work that would do those things would be the identifying work of our King, Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace? He's the Prince of building you up, making you stronger, making you better. Jesus has never ever spoken to me and said, well, that was stupid. Aren't you a piece of work? God, I don't even know why I put up with you. But he's constantly saying, you can do this. Just listen to my voice. Just follow my lead. I'll help you through this. He's constantly encouraging and building and leading and guiding. He's constantly functioning in peace. First Peter chapter 3, I want to look at verses 11 and 12. Seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and his ears attend their prayer. Seek peace and pursue it. And we see the result of this pursuit, the result of this seeking, is the attention of the Most High God. I think that this has a purpose behind it that I want to discuss. You'll see a confirmation of this in Psalm 34, verse 14. It's a declaration to depart from evil, to do good, to seek peace and pursue it. When I look at that verse, I can tell that there's a call on my life. In seeking peace, it's going to mean departing from evil. All of the people today throwing bricks, uh, punching, shooting, looting, stealing, uh, burning down, destroying, all of these things, for all of these people to separate from these evil works, these counterproductive, these destructive works 
they would have to stop doing those things first in order to pursue peace. God's calling us to depart from the things that are not peaceful, the things that are evil, the things that are destructive, and then do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Peace is a powerful thing. I mean, when I think of God and I read the scripture and I, I, I read the passages of scripture concerning, you know, clouds of thick darkness and lightning bolts and thunder and, and the grounds trembling and, and people uh, shaking in fear and all of these things, I think, wow, God is really pretty awesome. I mean, if, if he wanted to put someone in their place, he's quite capable of doing it. But yet when God is describing his power, when God is identifying himself as having absolute authority, when he's identifying himself as victorious, he identifies himself as peace. I mean, just read between the lines here in a passage of scripture out of Romans. Romans 16, verse 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. I mean, if I were writing that, I would probably get real charged up and be like, the God of super awesome, ultra mega power will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. But as the Holy Spirit's revealing this, he's revealing what is powerful. What does have the power to crush Satan beneath our feet? And it might not be the lightning bolts and the thunder and the rocks breaking apart and splitting in two that we might imagine. Rather, it's the power of peace. The God of peace will soon crush Satan beneath your feet. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. It's, it's really the third thing I said we were looking for. What the children of God do. We're born again. We claim God as our heavenly father and praise the Lord. He claims us as his children. The word speaks of our spirit, the spirit of adoption that cries out, Abba, Father as we consider the, the relationship that we have with our maker. What do we do as children of God? I want to give you a passage of scripture out of the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9. It comes from a series of, of, of teachings Jesus is giving on the Mount of Beatitudes. And this, this is a the world-changing message. As people are hearing these words spoken by Jesus, they are hearing the heart of the Father. It is an absolutely amazing chapter to read. I want to look at simply one verse today. Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. For me to be operating as a child of God, for you to be operating as a child of God in your words or in your actions, in your attitudes, we ought to be in the process or in the practice of making peace. Anything outside of making peace is not functioning as a child of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. They shall be called the sons of God. It tells me the power of peace, the need to pursue peace. I want to apply this today. 
with, with the hearts and thoughts turned toward the state of our nation. If you and if I have a call upon our lives to be children of God, sons of the Most High, and that call means that we're to make peace, I want to identify how we can do that. I want to give you a passage of Scripture as the church is identified and spoken about by Jesus. You can write this down for your notes. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn there. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19. Jesus is speaking about the church. That's you and that's me. It's us. Those who, who are, are being sanctified by God in our spirit, in our soul, in our body. The God of peace at work in us. Separating us from the corruption of the world. Sanctifying us and setting us apart into His kingdom. Which is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is speaking about the church, that's you, that's me, he says these things. He, he speaks of the power of, of this congregation, this group, this, this people that is being assembled by the power of his blood and the presence of the Holy Ghost. He says the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. No matter how much hell wages war against the church, Jesus promises it will not win. And let me tell you something, the gates of hell have pressed really hard against the church. We have it so easy here. There are those who have paid a price by shedding their own blood so that we could stand, we could praise and worship. And even just in simple reverence for those who have gone ahead of us and paid a high price through martyrdom, we ought to show a, a, a reverence and a respect for them in our appreciation for how good we have it. I want to tell you one of the deepest convictions I ever personally had as it concerned church. I lived in another city. I lived in Fort Worth, big community, and, and obviously was a part of a great church, but it was a really big church. I mean, there's nothing wrong with big churches. I, I love big churches. I come from big churches. Uh, I've, I've participated in big churches. But I remember it, I became kind of a face in the crowd and all of a sudden, all of the awareness of how important what God had done and, and what he was doing through the church was really kind of out the window and, and it had become routine and ritualistic. It had become absolutely powerless in my life. I remember a time, a conversation that I was having with my wife about church. And I said something, and, and when it came out of my mouth, I, it, I know it grieved the Holy Spirit. It grieved me too. I mean, as soon as I said it, I realized <laughs> that's not right. And, and maybe you've had some of those moments. Maybe I've had more than I should. But I remember we were identifying uh, our schedule. And, you know, being a part of this large church, they had, you know, some seven services over a weekend. And I think a couple of them were on Saturday and and a few of them were on Sunday. And, and I remember saying, hey, why don't we go to church on Saturday and get it out of the way? Those were the literal words that came out of my mouth. I mean, what comes from your mouth proceeds from your heart. That was revealing of, of how I felt about church. It was an obligation. A box meant to be checked off. And we we're going to get this out of the way so we can move on to our other things. The things that I really want to pursue the things that really have my heart, the things that really have my attention. I got news for you. I, I'm, I'm an on-fire, Holy Ghost-filled believer. 
that's been delivered from really, really horrible bondage. And I took for granted what God's done in the church. It can happen to anyone. We ought to examine ourselves. Am I aware that God has included me in a part, uh, uh, as a part of the body that the gates of hell will never prevail against? Does that excite me? Does that stir a fire inside of me to know that I have been included, I have been chosen, selected, and appointed into your uh, 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 culture, of uh, your, your, a citizen in your kingdom as a, as a stone, a living stone, in that that you have built and assembled to have absolute victory over all of hell? Or is it something I just need to get out of the way? So Jesus is talking there in Matthew 16, and he's revealing the power of the church. That even though hell will wage war against it, it won't prevail. He speaks of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He says, I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom of heaven to the church. What you bind on the earth will have been bound in heaven. What you loose on the earth will have been loosed in heaven. That's really where I want to... to to speak for just a moment. We have a call upon our lives to make peace. To be peacemakers as the children of God. I want us to consider that power and that authority that God's placed upon our life. So that we truly can be the church. The church that can stand even when the gates of hell are waging war against it. We can stand victorious. I have to ask myself, are we using those keys, those keys to the kingdom that Jesus blessed us with, that he bestowed upon us? If we're not using those keys, I think we ought to. I think we ought to use those keys to bind and to loose, to lock things up and to set things free. You don't have to be in a city that's being turned upside down by riots, not protests, but riots. To have an effect. Right here and right now, we can have an effect. We're part of the church. The gates of hell won't prevail against us. We carry the keys. The keys to lock away everything that's causing those things. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, the rulers uh, of, uh, and authorities in heavenly places that are dark and evil and wicked. We wage war against those things. Using the keys that Jesus gave us. We have the ability to bind the things that prevent peace. Let me give you a few things if you want to just make a list. Biblical things that we need to be in prayer concerning. These are things that we need to shut down. That would be binding. These are things that need to be subdued. They need to be arrested. They need to be captured. And through our prayer and our intercession, using the keys that Jesus has blessed us with, identified as the children of God, empowered to make peace, we ought to intercede and shut these things down. Number one, wickedness. Wickedness. Now, this isn't a definition from Webster's. It's just kind of a definition from Preston, okay? So it's just something I'm telling you. This is how I feel about the word wicked. I'm not telling you that this is something you should take to the bank. I'm just telling you how I feel about it. When I hear the word wicked, I think evil on purpose. 
That's just what I think. Evil on purpose. I want to give you a couple of passages of scripture here. Now I want you to see how peace in these things don't mix. Isaiah 48 verse 22. There's no peace for the wicked. That one's pretty simple, right? Pretty cut and dry. No peace for the wicked. When you see wickedness, you will see an absence of peace. If peace is what brings about that sanctifying work of God, if peace is the power that crushes Satan beneath our feet, I want to wage war in intercession and prayer. I want to bind wickedness. Father, in Jesus' name, I bind wickedness from the liberal cities of our nation. We ought to pray like that. We ought to begin to bind those things. You can speak directly to those things so that it's not simply a request, God, please bind those things, but we can speak to it. Wickedness, I bind you in Jesus' name. That sounds nutty to some people. I got news for you. I'm nutty. The Bible calls us a peculiar people. It's time to get peculiar. I talk to stuff like that, and we ought to. Psalm 119, verse 165. Those who love your word have great peace, and nothing causes them to stumble. Proverbs 16, 7. When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. These passages of Scripture don't just need to be poetic to us. They need to be instruction in how to pray. I can begin to bind wickedness. I can begin to loose. Father, let our ways be pleasing to you. We lose surrender in Jesus' name to your word, to your counsel, to your direction. Let your word and your counsel be upon the ears of every rioter. Let them be overwhelmed by truth where they stand right now. I'll, I'll tell you one that I like to bless with, kindness. I mean, I've said this before, so I don't mind showing my hand here. I'm a terrible card player. Father, bless them with kindness. Why? Well, because it's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. I bless a lot of you with kindness. That's supposed to make you laugh, right? But those of you who don't feel like you need to repent, then it doesn't. it's not funny, is it? I'm sorry. Another thing, anxiety. If we're going to be the sons of God and we want to operate with the keys to the kingdom and we don't want to just simply pretend church and play Sunday school, but we want to start tearing down the things that are destroying our country and assaulting the church and we want to start loosing the things that build up the kingdom of God, then we need to start using the keys. It's going to mean binding wickedness. It's going to mean binding anxiety. Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7, be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think we need hearts and minds guarded by Jesus Christ right now. They are being bombarded with a media blitz to bring anarchy and chaos raining down on this country. I bind that anxiety in the name of Jesus. Anxiety, I bind you in Jesus' name. Loose your grip on this country. Father, we loose the truth of the Holy Ghost. Let the spirit of truth abide in our hearts and our minds and let your words and your counsel prevail. I mean, it, it kind of changes the way we pray in general, doesn't it? And it should. All of a sudden, it's not something where we're simply 
uh, offering up these thoughts and ideas, but we begin to go to work with the tools that Jesus gives us, the keys to the kingdom. We bind wickedness, we bind anxiety, we bind confusion. Do you feel like there's any confusion in our country today? Good God, there's a lot of confusion. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 33, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Isn't that amazing that the word peace is used there? It doesn't say he's not a God of confusion, but he's a really good planner. It doesn't say he's not a God of confusion, but he's got a great day timer. He's not a God of confusion. He's the God of peace. So I take that and I realize, hey, this is one of the keys Jesus is giving me. Confusion, I bind you in Jesus' name. I bind you from my household. We will not be led by error. We'll be led by truth. Holy Spirit, we thank you for truth. We lose truth in our hearts, our minds. Let it be released. Let our hearts be open to receive your counsel. Our ears be attentive to your words. And let all of the confusion that is trying to bring us into compromise be silenced in the name of Jesus. It's a good way to use those keys, isn't it? Sounds good to me. So we bind wickedness, we bind anxiety, we bind confusion, we bind revenge. I heard one of the, this individual is not someone that I would vote for based on their, their views and their politics. But when I heard what they said, I thought, well, even a broken clock is right twice a day. They said, this is no longer a protest. I thought, well, that's, that's right. They said it's no longer about the issue that originally they said it was about. A man who was killed, and I believe he was killed, I think he was murdered. It's personal opinion. Do I think people should protest? Absolutely they should. Do I think people should riot? No, not at all. Revenge. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Never. Will you say never? Okay, see, it's kind of important just to get that word in your mouth and released. I want you to see never. Never is as absolute a word as could possibly be put in there. Absolute. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Well, they deserve it. Doesn't matter. Are they anyone? If they're anyone, then never pay back evil for evil. Ever. Let me read the rest of the verse to you. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Why? Because peace is powerful. It's peace that will crush Satan beneath your feet. And it's the reason why he wants to steal peace from believers. He wants to disarm believers so that he won't be subdued and crushed beneath our feet, but he can raise all kinds of hell. So we bind revenge. Father, we bind the spirit of revenge in Jesus' name. Revenge, I bind you in the name of Jesus and command you in the mighty name of Jesus to loose your hold on the hearts and minds of the deceived. We use the keys. I want to offer this one to you as we close. Chaos. Do you feel like there's a little bit of chaos? I mean, there's, there is a little bit of chaos, just a touch. 
I want you to understand what chaos really is. I mean, chaos really is a lack of boundaries. It's really all it is. I mean, the reason why these anarchists are, are out with their backpacks going from city to city, throwing bricks and lighting fires is because they are those who desire to tear down the existing boundaries and introduce chaos. God works within boundaries. The scripture is meant to not be rules and regulations for us to be whipped by. Rather, these are healthy boundaries for us to live by that lead us and guide us to places of prosperity, life, and victory. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of the Psalms. Psalm 147, verse 14. It's really simple, and I want you to know that you can apply it to your life, though the context speaks directly to the nation of Israel. Psalm 147, verse 14, God makes peace. Do you hear the word peace there? God makes peace within your borders. If there are no boundaries, can there be peace? If peace is made within the borders, but yet there are no borders, can there be peace? Kind of makes you want to help build the wall with Trump, doesn't it? Oh, come on, that's just a joke. I should have saved that for when Larry Klim was here. I would have gotten the biggest amen you've ever heard in this church. Oh, my gosh. But chaos. Jesus is showing us the keys. I got news for you, man. That key ring is effective and powerful. And every single one of us in this room, when we turn our heart over to Jesus, when we're born again, we have access to those keys. Now, most of us don't do anything with them. Some of us don't even know they exist. But we have a call to be the peacemakers. Right here, we don't have to go to Minnesota. We don't have to go to Atlanta. We don't have to go to Los Angeles. But right here, we can use the keys. We bind wickedness and anxiety. We bind confusion and revenge. We bind chaos in Jesus' name. And we loose the direction and counsel of our King Jesus. We can be peacemakers. I want to pray. I want to ask God to do that in us. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. There where you stand, you're welcome to simply receive the prayer or or, or participate in agreement, however you choose. But I want to trust and believe God to do something great in all of us. That we would step into our call as peacemakers. That we would operate with the keys that Jesus paid the highest price to place in our hands. And that we would begin to do that which we've been called, anointed, and equipped to do that we could bind and loose, that in prayer and intercession we could begin to make peace by binding those things that wage war against peace and by loosing those things which cultivate peace. Father, we thank you for your word, your counsel, and your direction in our lives. 
We thank you for the wonderful work that you've established in us as you've established the church. We celebrate the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail. Protect us from a mentality that would simply shelter in place while hell wages war against your people. And loose us into the awareness that you've called us to do something about it. That you've equipped us with the keys to the kingdom of heaven. To begin to bind and to loose. Let us be the peacemakers that you've called us to be. Let our hearts awaken to the power of your word. The purpose of your word. Let us be sensitive to the Holy Ghost leading us and guiding us. How to use your word to confess the scripture. And to be instructed in how to pray and how to intercede. And let a work be done that would glorify your name. That all that would wage war against peace would be bound and all that would loose peace onto this land would be released by the prayers and the intercession of the saints. The sons of God. As your children, let us see this call. Let us celebrate this anointing as we feel it stirring in us even now. Let it be embraced. And let there be an awareness of this thing. This call, this purpose, this anointing. And let each of us respond to that awareness in such a way that we would be obedient to your word. That we would surrender to the call. And that we would begin to function just like Jesus, tearing down every work of Satan and expanding your kingdom. Show us the keys. Teach us about the keys. And lead us and guide us to use the keys in righteousness according to your will to bind all that wages war against the church and your kingdom and to loose all that blesses and builds up the church and your kingdom. We thank you and we rejoice in this calling and this anointing. Let our prayer lives be forever changed and impacted. Let us become a people of intercession. Let us bind and let us loose in such a way that your will would be established and come to pass. We bless your name and we thank you for this mighty call upon our lives. In the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at jameschurch.com.